0: Hey everyone, this is Sam from Novel Discourse with a quick note about today's episode. Right before we started recording, something happened with my microphone, my microphone stopped working, so we didn't realize that until we started the editing process, so really fun thing to discover after we stopped recording. Um, you can still hear me, you can still hear everything I say, it just sounds like I'm calling in on a cell phone, it doesn't quite sound like our normal audio quality. Uh, if you're new to the podcast we apologize and we can assure you this is not our typical quality and if you're an avid listener we appreciate you guys for sticking around we again we apologize for the quality Um, we have a really fun conversation today about zero dark 30 and the historical accuracies of it and how they chose to portray it from a writing and directing perspective so without further ado here's the episode (music) Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. That's feels a little bit uh, disingenuous to say that this week after what happened last week, where we talked about what we consider to be, anyways, an objectively bad story. Our
1: absolute hit job on Ready Player One. Whew. I enjoyed that, man. It
0: was fun. It's not something that I want to repeat frequently. Um, I'm sure we offended... It's good to get it out of your system, you know? like Indeed. In- indeed it was. I feel like we were honest. I feel like we approached it from a technical standpoint as well as from a fan standpoint I think that it was a, it was a needed conversation and again hopefully one that we don't have to encounter that often but it was uh, if you haven't listened to it it was great we're gonna be uploading a few clips onto our YouTube channel if going back and listening to an hour half long podcast maybe isn't your thing the YouTube channel we will, will be uploading a few clips from that episode and if you don't follow us on YouTube anyways, you should, because we're gonna we're gonna be uploading clips uh, moving forward. Sometimes we'll be uploading clips before the episodes even air. So yeah, give us a follow, give us a subscription, and uh, yeah.
1: Oh, so dude, let me share this with you. You're a homeowner. You know the uh, w- that when you buy a house, uh, you're inundated with like kind of a lot of like weird scammy mail and shit. Like as soon as you are in the database somewhere as like a mortgage. Uh, payer, you get all this weird mail that like tries to make it seem like it's tangentially connected to your financial responsibilities. I got so upset that on Tuesday, there's a knock at my door. I go answer the door and there's a lady standing there and she's like, Hey, uh, we work with Taylor Morrison, which is the, the company that built my house. Sure. Um, and like we do the water testing for, uh, all the houses that are built here. So I just need to schedule a time with you to come do that. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Like I, I didn't know what she was talking about, but I assumed this was like some service that the builder provided. They just came to test the water to make sure it was all good. Like it sounded – she was very presumptive and it seemed like a routine thing. So I was
0: like, sure. Yeah, you almost feel like you probably didn't even have an option at that point. You're just like, okay. Well, this yeah, and,
1: and again, it seemed it, it it seemed like there's a bunch of other stuff the builders provided in a similar vein. Like they come out and they like, hey, we're here to test your sprinklers to make sure they were installed correctly. Hey, we're here to do – soil testing like all this other shit has happened along those same lines so I thought this was just yet another thing dude this lady comes to my house today <laughs> and i'm like trying to paint the nursery cassie's out of the house so i'm in charge of little guy like there's a whole bunch of stuff happening and this lady shows up for, at the appointed time and i'm like cool like hey uh you know just you can use, you know test whatever water you need I- i'll be in the the back room doing this thing just let me know if you need anything it's just like oh oh no actually uh this is, we'll be, we'll be together the whole time. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. So I'm like, okay. So like I'm at my, the bar in my kitchen and dude, this lady begins, she's basically a salesperson for a company that sells like $50,000 water purification systems and launches into this like pitch. She has like test tubes out on my counter. She's taking water from my taps and dropping chemicals into it, she's like, "Oh, it's turning purple. You see that? That's not good. Do not drink this water. Like all this shit." Then she's like, "Do you have a phone?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> she's like, "Go to this website." And it's not like a government website. It's not a. It's a .dot org, <laughs> and it's like type in your zip code. So I type in my zip code, and it pulls up this water chart. And it's like, she's like, "Okay, let me look at it." And she's like, She's like, "Oh my god, this is a disaster." And it's like five. Everything's in red. It it. it Yeah, and it's like you have 376 times the Bloferara blalene acid that you're supposed to have. It could all be made up. It probably is all made up. You know what I mean? I'm just, like, standing there, like, okay. She's like, frankly, like, I wouldn't even wash my hands with this water. And I was like, well, you know, I've drank a ton of the water out of this tap, and I'm fine. And I lived in Lubbock, Texas, and I drank that tap water, and I'm fine. So I feel like, you know, possibly it's okay. And she's like no, you know, seriously, like you're, you're going to need like the, the best water purification that we have, blah, blah, blah. She pulls out this huge catalog. And I finally was just like, Hey, honestly, like I didn't really understand what this was. (laughs) Like I didn't know this was a sales pitch. Um, I'm in sales too. I appreciate you're just doing your job, but we're not buying anything. It's not going to happen. And she goes, she goes, well, you, you wouldn't have to pay anything up front. Like it's I go, well, what, how much does one of these things cost? She goes, nothing. It costs nothing. It's just oh 45 bucks God. a month. I was like, okay, like red flag number it's 10. She's just like lying like, at this
0: point or very misleading at minimum.
1: Anyone, that anyone that when you're like, how much does this item cost? They go, it costs nothing. It's just 45 bucks a month. And I was like 45 bucks a month forever. What do my grandchildren keep paying 45 bucks a month? Yeah. Like, is it $10 million? Like so yeah she left she left like her business card she was like as soon as your wife gets home like have her call me i'll educate her all this shit i was just like
0: oh yeah let me me try let me try it on the other spouse that's always a that's a good dude i was just
1: i just was like i felt like bamboozled and just like so fucking mad i was mad about this for like two hours after it's like that stephen a You're the reason
0: i've been run them up let astray Bamboozled, yeah, dude. It it is, dude. First of all, you can't swindle a swindler. Like you're in sales. I've been in sales. Well, and she gives us a bad
1: name. It's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like those people and like and like scummy car salesmen that like when I tell people I'm in sales, they they get an image in their head of me as like some kind of like the dude that accosts you at the grocery store and tries to sell you satellite television. Like this
0: kind of person is the reason why. Like, oh, it sucked. When you set up a meeting under false pretenses like hey I'm not selling you on anything and then they you meet with them and it's not what you expect their their guards immediately going to go up and be like it's immediately not going to be a fruitful meeting so why even why even lie about that
1: even if a month from now Cassie's like we need to get a water filtration system I will not buy from that person on principle I will find yeah. another provider like because you lied to me like that's so insane like I cannot imagine that's a successful like high you know that person's just been trained terribly they probably like paid for some like ten thousand dollar swindler trainer to come in and teach them some like high pressure sales system that never fucking works Where it's like go to their it's like i've been in those sales trainings where it's like call some leave someone a voicemail that says you know hey sam uh, it's andy gatelli don't say what, what company you're with uh, I just have uh, something of minor importance To speak with you about Give me a call back And like that kind of shit Where you're just like Okay man And once you've done this job For long enough You realize like how shitty That really is But like When you don't know what you're doing You just listen to what you're told But like oh man It left me with such a bad taste in my mouth I was like get out of my house <laughs> like,
0: That's super frustrating Speaking of False hopes High hopes Nice That are diminished Good transition News came down the pipe today for the the DC EU is what they call it the Got DC it. Extended Universe, which they're still coming out with movies in between now and I guess when this soft reboot is supposed to happen. So it's not quite clear exactly when it's going to start and end, but they are they're planning a ten year plan. Of course, it's you you typically plan plans, I guess, but um, they're going to try to model it after MCU, which. They kind of tried to do but then they didn't have the patience to stick it out and they ended up having Justice League like two movies in as opposed to doing the the two MCU thing and having Avengers six or seven years in which is what made Avengers great Um, so I'll speak for myself and say I am cautiously optimistic that they'll be able to pull something off I feel like they have had a they're batting if we want to use our batting analogy that we've used in the past I would say they're batting about a 100 like, one out of every ten DC movies is decent, and then the rest are anywhere from bad to horrible. Um, the
1: Batman movies are good. The first Wonder Woman was was decent. The second Suicide Squad, after they did the soft reboot there, was... Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree. I
0: would say that one was solid. Um, I mean, like, a five and a half. Like, I'm, I'm setting yeah, the bar very yeah. low for them.
1: I'm, I'm saying, like, would I even watch it? Because, like, the first Suicide Squad is watchable from a uh, make-fun-of-it standpoint, but it is objectively awful. Um, the Justice League stuff is really bad. The Aquaman stuff is really bad. Aquaman
0: is one of the worst superhero movies. Period.
1: The Superman versus Batman stuff was
0: fucking bad,
1: dude. And then like all the insistence that like all it needed was the Snyder Cut. All we needed was like a four-hour
0: version of this movie for it to be good. Yeah. I was just like, no, that's
1: not true. Like,
0: I I did hear, and I haven't seen the Snyder Cut, but I have heard from people that I respect that. The Snyder cut, although still not great, provides a lot of clarity as to what they were thinking and what they were doing, and it provides a lot of necessary context for things that would happen in later scenes that's not given in the original cut, which totally makes sense. The DCEU
1: is filled with kind of what-ifs. Um, the Fantastic Four movie that came out a couple years ago is a big one of those. Like The original script and even the original like cut that came out of that – not came out, but was – turned into the studio of that was this like incredibly dark, incredibly emotional, like kind of fucked up movie that was going to be a hard R and the studio just like mashed it with the editing room and turned it into like, it barely makes sense. Like the movie almost is unfollowable. So it turned into a total disaster. Um, And so it seems like they are, they're so anxious to be Marvel that they, they kind of are gripping it too hard like i think they need to find creators they trust and let them create art because it doesn't seem like they're they're very capable of that like we saw that with the first the first suicide squad was notoriously like incredibly cut to pieces Jared leto's role was left on effectively the entire his entire performance was left on the cutting room floor not that i'm a big fan of it but um which is but it's still absurd Yeah, you'll just never know, right? Like, you pay a guy... I'm sure he got paid $15, $20 million to effectively not be in the movie, which is kind of crazy,
0: so... Poor Jared Leto. Rip.
1: He probably, like, drowned his sorrows by texting a bunch of 15-year-old
0: girls. (laughs) Let's talk about uh, our topic for today, Zero Dark Thirty. Um, I feel like we had to do a palate cleanser a little bit. Last week, we talked about a shitty, high-fiction, science-fiction novel. This is a really well-made historical retelling i I don't want to call it fiction it has fictional elements it it took liberties obviously but this is very much based on a real story the story of course of how the cia found bin laden and then the seal team six did the rest and uh it's a, a great this is a great movie
1: i have such a complicated relationship with this movie um on one hand i it is like in a vacuum like as just a piece of media, this is an awesome movie. It's super well done. The performances are great. It's shot super well. They tell a very complex story over a long period of time really well. Unfortunately, what diminishes this for me, and this is like a an opinion as far as like should this hurt a film, um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: Have you ever seen the Thirty for Thirty about USC? The like
0: Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Pete Carroll u s c team I haven't seen it, but i if I recall we talked about it on this podcast, and I think you had maybe brought up that they whitewashed a lot of things and just were like, Oh, it wasn't as crazy as it sounds like we were we were the good guys type deal right uh,
1: effectively sort of. like i feel yeah effectively, I feel like when you are making uh when you are making a piece, either documentary or a movie retelling of events. You have a choice around: Do you want direct, firsthand accounts? Like, do you want access to the people that did it, or do you want to tell the completely unvarnished truth? And in many cases, that is that is that is that, is, that choice is kind of made for you by time. So, if you want to make a, a documentary the week after something happens, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to like tell the full truth. One, because it's not really fully like fallen all together yet, and two. Right there might still be like things happening around that event. And that is the case with this film. So one, of the, I really wish they had made this exact same movie 10 years later, uh, because I think we could, it could have been a more perfectly like accurate retelling of the events. And I, the reason I say that is because this movie was made, uh, like a year after bin Laden got killed. Like they yeah. began working on this. The second this dude was in the ground. Or in the water, I should say, because they dumped his body at sea. So the issue is that it came out in the middle of a huge political fight around the CIA's enhanced interrogation program, the CIA's torture program. And like any movie or video game or piece of media made about something this classified, like this movie was made almost hand in fist with the CIA, with the Department of Defense – and as such, they told a very specific version of this event. And that included telling, like, this This became kind of the dominant narrative of how these events took place. Like, the average person in the United States probably, like, when they, if you ask them, like, how was Osama bin Laden killed? They will effectively tell you the version of events that's depicted in this film. And the issue with that is that this movie takes the position that intense Interrogation played, like, almost the, like, silver bullet role in in doing that. Like, the most important key intelligence breaks in this whole, like, chain of events happened because we waterboarded guys and we did what we had to do. A year after this movie came out, however, we got the CIA torture report from the Senate Subcommittee uh, on Enhanced Interrogation, and we now know, factually, that 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 was not true. The CIA put tremendous pressure on the makers of this film to tell that story because they they were and they were right like this became the dominant narrative and it swayed public opinion uh towards the idea that those methods were necessary for the finding and killing of bin laden um Mm -hmm. but we know now from like cia cables and all their records and everything that no actionable intelligence of any kind has ever been like procured via enhanced interrogation um for me, it, be- it becomes a more complicated movie because of that, because it does definitely depict this as like, hey, this is what we had to do to find bin Laden. And in reality, the way we found bin Laden was how we always find these guys, which is like somebody talks, we intercept something, we bribe somebody, somebody switches teams, like um, right. real Soft intelligence tactics. is – Yeah, and and real intelligence is found through relationships most of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a really great movie that I recommend everyone go watch with Adam Driver starring in it that came out a couple years ago called The Report that is the story of uh, the making and eventual release of the CIA torture report. And the debut of this film, The Zero Dark Thirty, is actually depicted in that movie um, as this kind of like, oh, shit moment. They're in the middle of working on this report when that comes out. And the characters in that film are like, how is this being shown to the American public? This isn't true. And the whole history of the American uh, enhanced interrogation program is is, inc- is really crazy. It's like the CIA didn't really know how it wanted to approach detainee uh, interrogation, especially in black sites and in places that were officially denied, especially terrorists who um, it's not like interrogating a criminal or interrogating someone who. Just happens to fight for a different army. These are ideological purists, and you would think they need – you need something more specialized. And they hired uh, two former Air Force psychologists who had never interrogated a detainee before, and they came up with the ter- what would become the Enhanced Interrogation Program and paid those guys $30 million each. Um, And so it became this kind of like sunk cost thing where they felt like they definitely needed to create uh, a body of evidence that said that this was necessary. And this movie played a huge role in that. So it is very complicated. And to what what level that history and that knowledge and then like that fictionalization and inaccuracy that this movie depicts, how much that affects what you think of it is person to person. It's totally subjective for me. Um, it doesn't ruin the movie. I still think this is an incredible movie, and I watch it all the time because I I was raised on Tom Clancy. I love this kind of stuff. Like this is movie right at my alley. Um, but it does. I would be lying if I didn't say it does make it more complicated that like torture plays such a primary central role in this film. And now watching it with new eyes, I know like this this didn't occur. Like this is this is made up. So it,
0: it definitely um, plays a, a huge part in the early, I would say the first act, the second act. Yeah. It plays less of a role in the in the last of know, hour, in, in part because the last in the last hour you have like a twenty five minute um, sequence that shows the Navy SEALs going in and actually getting Osama bin Laden right. So, and, and they even make a pivot at cert, at a point in this story when Obama comes in office, where there's a lot of conjecture about what does this mean for our tactics, and they make a point to say, to your point, effectively, crap now that torture's off the table, this is going to really tie our hands. And there's, there's reason behind that. Um, two quick things that I wanted to point out about the making of this film that I found particularly interesting. Um, you talked about when this movie came out, when it was created. One thing that I thought was really interesting was the, the writer and director who had worked together before for the Hurt Locker, which is another great film of, of this kind of front or this war that's gone on for so long. Um, They they were working on a screenplay for the Battle of Tora Bora, uh, which is another battle that happened. Um, And I believe that's the battle that they thought that intelligence believes that Osama bin Laden actually escaped our our clutches from back in 2001. So when this story was being written, it, it actually, they had started filming right when Osama was killed. So they had to basically – mid, I not really mid-production, but at the very beginning of their production, they halted it and said this is the bigger story because it's obviously the bigger story, right? Of course, right? yeah. Um, so to your point about when this came out, I do think that their hands were tied a little bit in the sense that they had this super important story about post-9-11 finding Bin Laden that was going to be the definitive tale. And then the most important event of that entire series happened, and it was like, of well – we have to drop everything. So they couldn't, you know, they, they probably didn't want to wait five years till everything came oh, out. of course not. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: I don't blame the filmmakers for like, I don't think they were like in on some conspiracy or anything like that. Um, I think they were working with the information they had and, but it, you know, like any, like any retelling of a historical event, like the, I think it's important to view a movie for the time in the time that it was made and with the information that they had when it was made. Um, and so like when i watched this movie you know when i watched it again for this podcast like those first like you mentioned the first act you know the opening scene of this is them working with this guy and it's like there is this um there is this kind of theme of like hey like we're reluctant torturers we don't want to do this but this is what it takes to break these guys you ha- they have to know they have no other recourse but to help us blah 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 and so it it kind of serves to make and i'm sure this this worked just exactly the same on the writer it worked the same on the american public like i felt like this for a significant portion of my life like it makes you okay with what is happening in front of you you're like this is i don't like this as a human being like i don't like that we're doing this but it is a necessary i won't even call it evil it's just a necessary set of actions to prevent like greater evil and to prevent you know 9-11 from happening again and even the people that ordered this stuff to happen in the real world, they're operating from the position of 9-11 happened. We are viewed in the intelligence community as having failed, right? Like we were asleep at the wheel. We allowed this to occur. uh, We allowed 9-11 to happen on our watch. We can never allow that to happen again. So whatever we have to do to make sure it doesn't, we will do that. And so I I don't have like malice towards any of these people. I just think that it's important as a viewer to understand that what you're watching in these scenes – um, is is fictionalized right like that's that 's an important piece of the equation like there are parts of this movie that are highly accurate to what really occurred, and there are pieces of it that that are not and this is one of those that um, not that this guy didn 't really probably get worked it 's just that he didn 't give them anything that ended up being actionable like that's that 's just the nature of the the case
0: I listened to this this interview by this guy named Peter Bergen who had written several books about Osama bin Laden, specifically about yeah, his, actions his after two thousand and one and he made an interesting point about this this movie. He was saying that there, that so much of what happens in this movie is accurate, except for two things. One, the interrogation tactics, um, as you said, um, were are very rarely used. Were very rarely used and almost never led to any real information because a lot of times people were just lying so the pain could stop, which you've always heard of. The other thing that was interesting was it said, you know, when these writers were trying to develop this story. They didn't have direct contact with the seals or obviously yep. anybody around the situation. So who did they reach out to? But the CIA and yep. the CIA, their version of events. You can this story takes ninety percent of what happened and then colors the rest ten percent or so with things that work better for stories and for Hollywood as well as what the CIA wants you to believe. So and, and sure. the two ways that those things play out is like you said the the way in which they. Find some of that initial information in the first half of the story, and the second thing is Jessica Chastain's character. Is her name Maya in this story? Yeah, Maya. This movie? Maya is kind of a character plug for the entire network of operations that happened to find yeah, Bin it's Laden. Like twelve because, people. Yeah, and, and and listen, you if you think that it was just one determined woman that found Bin Laden, like basically on her own against all the, and like the CIA was like in opposition to her findings, like. That is fanciful, right? That there was sure. resources. There's people, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty people working round the clock. There's there's operatives in the field. There's you know any level of organization that you can imagine. Millions, tens of well, millions, there was a there
1: not. was a ten million dollar reward on this guy's head. So like, sure. imagine the number of tips that there that the CIA's vast network of people is getting from around the globe on any given day in like 2006, where it's just like. They're having to follow every lead, right? So, like, there's some dude in Pakistan who's probably just some swindler trying to get his hands on some U.S. money, yeah. being like, "Yeah, I know a guy whose cousin's milkman saw Bin Laden in fucking the tribal region. I could, if you give me ten grand, I can for sure get
0: him for you." Like, that's happening times a million. Before we get started, I'll, I guess I'll add one more thing on that thought. There, there's a line that's delivered early in this movie about they go after some faulty leads the first half of the story and then they really start honing in on where Bin Laden actually is and there's this I think really necessary dialogue they have about why did it why did we miss this and I think Maya is the one who says that and I think her name is Jessica is the other yeah Jessica is the other field operative that is um, one of the main characters and she basically is like look there was so many leads to start this we had to by process of elimination get rid of all those Um, Another thing that Peter Bergen brought up that I think is totally accurate is, you know, people think of this search for bin Laden as a game, like a Tom Clancy game, finding these like massive situation changing pieces of information. But, you know, it really was more like an Agatha Christie novel. It was process of elimination. He had said that there was in the first year of the CIA launching their investigations to try to find this. Um, you can think about this as, as he put it, the this is the largest criminal investigation in the history of the world. They yep. said that there was over 500,000 leads and over 10,000 investigations in the first year alone. I and mean, by investigations, it can mean conversations, things like that. But that just gives you the scale of how many people are involved. So it's not just one woman running around against all odds. This is a huge effort by cia and the american public um so just kind of wanted to give you that context as as provided for this story um before we jump in so let's get to it so cool zero dark Thirty. yeah
1: zero dark 30 so this is uh as we've kind of gone back and forth on this is kind of the culmination of the 10-year-long manhunt for osama bin laden and tells uh the story both of the uh both investigative intelligence side Uh, and all the complexities therein, as well as the kinetic piece of the operation that everyone's familiar with. Um, I remember being on my buddy's couch at tech the night that it, that, you know, they announced that this had occurred, that they had gotten. Oh, that was such an awesome Um,
0: night. I remember. It was crazy.
1: It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, And all the videos that came out from like the Naval Academy where they announced it on the steps of the chapel. And like, this was a moment of true catharsis for the United States where like, um, although like no terrorist attack is done by one person, and like this isn't World War Two where we have a Hitler, like Osama bin Laden is the closest we have to like a a person to blame for for 9 11, and so uh, this meant so much to the country, and so this story carries an equal level of magnitude to the American people and the people who lived through 9 11, even as just a civilian. This changed. Um, the entire world this, this changed reality for everyone who lived through it, and so like the catharsis that came ten years later when he was killed uh, it deserved a retelling of this magnitude and so this movie uh, tries to recount from the moment that that attack happens effectively all the way through to to his eventual uh, finding and, and
0: killing so which that which uh, by the way that opening like you said you 're talking about like from this from 9 eleven on yeah. the movie starts with a black screen that 's just the screams of 9-11, 9-1-1 yeah. calls, and it stays like that for, it's like a solid three minutes. And I remember yeah. watching this in theaters. That is a very powerful opening.
1: It's every, don't get me wrong, like I, I, I don't want it to come across like I was shitting on this movie to start. Um, this movie is a masterpiece as far as like what it tries to do. It does so well technically from every angle. They put all the work in necessary to really tell this story well. Um, and so we we begin with Maya Harris, who's a CIA analyst. And again, like Sam mentioned, she's kind of a stand-in for... Um, instead of like... And I think this was a really wise decision by the writer. Like, to tell this story as it truly actually occurred would require having like 50 characters, <laughs> which would be very fucking difficult and would be too confusing. So they kind of just like amalgamated the efforts of like dozens of different people. Um, there is a real Maya. She was a prominent member of the Bin Laden hunt team. She did do some incredible work. And so she became kind of the face and figurehead for this movie. And I think that's a great decision. Um, So she is assigned in 2003, so it's only been, like, we're talking about less than 18 months after 9-11. She's assigned uh, to the U.S. Embassy in Pakistan, so she has uh, official diplomatic cover, and she's going to be working out of the Pakistan Embassy. Uh, And she meets this, uh, what I would consider to be, like, a 21st century New American military archetype, which is, like, the fucking super cool and yet, like... Like aloof, but like super dangerous and deadly CIA officer, like Dan Fuller in this movie, who's like her. The CIA, he's he is a very specific, and I think very specifically American kind of terrifying. Like they have this character in like all modern war on terrorism movies, like the guy that sits down with the terrorist and is like, "Look, like there are rules for everyone else. There's no rules for me. I'm gonna drone strike your family. I'm gonna fucking you know what I mean? Just like the guy that like." The actual tip of the spear, the the proverbial rough man standing ready to do violence on your behalf so that you can sleep soundly in your bed at night, this is Dan Fuller. He carried, and, you know, he's he's a
0: completely different in terms of how he carries himself, but in a lot of ways, personality wise, he's like who I imagine like if Teddy Roosevelt was born in like nineteen eighty eight yeah, or 1978 yeah. i guess cuz it's this is He wears the past.
1: like flip-flops but he has a PhD and like he's out yeah. here on a, in a black site doing like feeding ice cream to monkeys between like torture sessions <laughs> like it's yeah. really crazy so we're at this uh black site doing interrogations of this low-level detainee and they think that he has like basically monetary links to the September 11th hijacker is a member of his family, like funneled him money. He funneled that money to a September 11th hijacker. And, uh, Dan is basically going to, uh, apply some enhanced interrogation techniques onto this guy. And this is the first time that both the audience at this point, Maya and the audience are kind of in the same position. Like Maya is our stand in for us where we're totally green to the situation, um, we're on the same side. We're like, we want to find bin Laden, what does that take? And Dan's gonna show us what it takes. And so we go from this like yeah. sun-drenched desert into this like super dark, windowless hole. They're playing death metal. They've got this dude tied up to the ceiling so he can't sit down. And there's no like screaming and yelling. It's all just like very like calm, like this is only this is just gonna keep happening. Um and so they begin, like, basically, like, waterboarding this dude, like, putting him in this, like, super confining box, like, all the va- the basically the greatest hits of the enhanced interrogation uh, program. And eventually the dude reveals the name of uh, the personal courier of uh, bin Laden, uh, a guy named Abu Ahmed. And uh, at this point, we also see that that Maya is also, like, this is her reveal that she is, like, very knowledgeable. She understands, like, a lot about... Um, both Mujahideen culture and like the lo- local regional culture. She's like, I know the difference between a family name and a war name. Um, so you're not going to be able to just like throw bullshit at me and it'll stick. Um, and so they begin to kind of have this tête-à-tête with this detainee. Uh, he's going to eventually reveal the importance of this courier. And this is effectively the first that we see that's going to be our in that will eventually lead us to Bin Laden. Uh, this is
0: also the first scene where... You are introduced to one of about, I would say about twenty Arabic names that they throw at you, and if you're watching this without yeah. sub, without um, subtitles, it can be at least for me, anyways. It was incredibly hard to keep up with. I, in fact, for sure, it got to the point where I only recognized people's names by the characters' reactions to when the name was said. I just, yeah. I would hear all. It'd be like they would say, and they would be like, Ab- Abu Ahmed Al Kuwaiti. Or, and then, like, the same sentence, they'd be like, Amar Reda Kateb, or something, and I would be like, okay, I don't know which one of those is the courier. I don't remember which one of those guys was the informant. Because, yeah, it just, it does that all throughout the, more, the movie. And I will say that I think that adds a little bit of, um, if we're to talk about the dialogue for a second, I think that adds a lot of authenticity. I, I like screenplays that take a very... Um, nuanced situation that requires a lot of historical knowledge a lot of expertise throws you in there and kind of lets you figure out how to swim there's no yep. campy dialogue to be like you know and there's no exposition that's like oh you're talking about the terrorists that did this it's like everybody that's in the situation that would know this stuff isn't going to ask dumb questions so you are as the audience assumed to follow along um, and, and to like I said to learn how to float now One other thing that I'll say that happens uh, because I think we might gloss over it because it's pretty early on. It's in the first like 10 minutes. Um, I think some of that is done for effect. I think some of that is done not only to give it a realistic element but to also show that Maya is a little bit over her head. There's a scene where Maya is in a um, she's in a room going over film and she's looking for a certain terrorist and seeing who this terrorist might be where they're at on the street and there's five or seven different televisions pulled up. She's got all these different takes. She's putting them in watching, taking notes. It's showing all these different clips and it's it'll it'll zoom straight into the camera and then zoom into Jessica Chastain, take all these different angles. There's like 40 cuts in this in this scene that's like a minute long. And my wife turned to me and was like, "What what is she looking for?" And I was like, "I think that's the point. I think the point is you are supposed to be you're supposed to be in Maya's head, like when when things are really really confusing. I think that they do that on purpose a little bit to For sure. make you feel like, hey, if you don't really quite understand how all these bits connect, that's how the CIA operatives are feeling. I, I think they go out of their way to make things a little bit confusing at, at times of this movie.
1: Yeah, and they definitely use like conversations and scenes like that to communicate like to the audience certain aspects of this conflict that. Um, are important to the overall story. I think another good example of that is when she goes to her first meeting with like the Bin Laden team at the embassy. Like she's sitting in the little like glass security room, and Dan lets her in. She meets the yeah. boss for the first time. They go up. They have this meeting, and they start talking about like what leads they're following. And she explains that like one of the leads that they're talking about is pre nine eleven thinking, and that their tactics have changed. Um, I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand about like fighting. As an enemy that is uh, effectively like medieval in their world outlook is that the cia is is basically designed in the modern world to like hunt people based on technology and their use of technology like the cia's first approach yeah. to everything is like rip cell phones like everyone touches technology somewhere when hunting bin laden like this dude didn't let someone with a cell phone come within 100 yards of them like they had Air, every electronic in his house is from like 1985, everything's air-gapped, he had all his like hentai porn downloaded onto a hard drive that he could watch without <laughs> connecting to the internet um, which he did have a lot of hentai
0: porn that's a real thing. he did
1: have a shitload of hentai porn that is absolutely accurate um, which you know like at the bottom of it all, like, he became – by the end of it, bin Laden was definitely a boogeyman. But underneath all that, bin Laden was a spoiled trust fund kid. <laughs> so he was probably yeah. just kind of a weeb. He larfed as a fucking mujahideen. Like, anyone who's really interested in the background of all this stuff, read – there's a really great book that is required reading when you join the modern CIA called The Looming Tower. And it's about – the end of the book is nine eleven, And the whole book is about – tracking, like, the the emergence of al-Qaeda, the emergence of Osama bin Laden, and, like, how radical Islam and the political movements that came to encompass that, how we got there. And one of the things they point out is that, like, in Afghanistan in the 70s fighting the Soviets, like, the real mujahideen, like, the guys that were actually repelling the Soviets and fighting to the death, like, they fucking clowned on bin Laden, dude. Like, he was basically this rich kid that showed up with all these shiny guns and, like, wanted to, like, role-play as this, like, brave Muslim fighter. And these guys were like, bro, you're a rich Saudi oil kid. Like, you can stay way the fuck over there where the Soviets can shoot you to pieces and we will be over here. We're glad to take your money, but, like, stay the fuck away from us. And that, I think, is, like, very indicative of who Osama bin Laden was his whole life, is that he wanted to be this, like, symbolic figure. And he always was, like, that enabled him to become the face of this movement because he desperately wanted that when others in his subculture didn't care that much about that. So yeah. all those things come together to form the personality of Assad bin Laden. But yeah, ultimately um, we do see a lot of these scenes where she's like slowly kind of getting her feet underneath her from that first scene where she's kind of wide eyed in this interrogation to like leading her own interrogations. Um, and a couple of years into it, Uh, She's really honed in on this courier, uh, Abu Ahmed. She runs it by – she gets that information off a different detainee. She takes it back to Faraj who denies knowing him. And she kind of keys in on the fact that like the fact that he's denying knowing a person with that name like tells me that he's like hiding this person. Like he's effectively put up a last wall. He's giving us everything else and he's refusing to give us this. That means that that's really important.
0: I I think Um, if this was a name that over like – over forty interrogees knew, so it was clear. Yeah. Like, no, you know this guy. It's like it's like a sports fan refusing to know who you know. Aaron yeah. Rodgers. Never heard of
1: Tom like Brady. That. Yeah, who yeah, the fuck yeah. is Tom Brady? Um, so by 2009, uh, Maya and another officer who you mentioned, Jessica, um, they are gonna. They've met with this Jordanian doctor um, who's highly placed in Al Qaeda, and they're gonna give him twenty five million bucks to like get like basically to like mark bin laden for them and by um, the way somebody this is
0: about when somebody should have hit the x out button yeah that this oh, yeah. that this doctor was gonna cooperate I mean, which i mean hard it's it's
1: it's so difficult to know because like Dudes do turn for money all the time. Like it's always yeah. like money, ideology, or they're in trouble on their end of the spectrum, and they need to escape somewhere else. And so the U.S. is a good place. But and, yeah, and this is part the- of the
0: screenplay that was a, that was a, that's this, this everything that happens after this is a real part of the story. They, they relied Absolutely. a ton on double agents, triple agents to get intel. More as you, as we said, more so than waterboarding. So yeah, continue. So uh, they are going to meet with
1: this guy at uh, Kent Chapman, which is a, a base uh, in Iraq, and they've got like, I think it's like Delta or SEALs, like some tier one oper- like operators are out there along with CIA guys, um, and they're going to meet with this guy, and the dude shows up, gets out of the car, the operator dudes are real squirrely about it, they do not like how he's like moving, he's got a big shawl on, they can't see what he has on his body, he raises his arms up, detonates a suicide vest and kills Jessica as well as like a bunch of other CIA personnel. And it's the worst yeah. attack on the CIA personnel in like 25 years. They get killed
0: seven people. If, I, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think that's
1: correct. Um, and so now they're like this, 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 like they, they followed this lead like for years and it has turned out to be a, a complete honeypot. Um, and so now, like, there's, like, Maya's obviously, like, super upset about this. She's also been the target of uh, significant attack. Um, they know who she is. She's been marked by. Oh, but uh, she out, gets shot up Kate at her
0: own at, own house. Her house. I don't know if that yeah. was actually real, but that would be. Okay, so what happened is she's pulling out of her driveway, and she has an armed guard with a. Um, her driveway at the end of it, there's a basically like a bulletproof, I don't know what you call it, like, gate. And yeah. as she's backing out, she gets shot at. She floors it back into her place. The guard barely is able to get the door back shut, and then the people drive off. Dude, if that happened to me, like, I know Forgotten for Country and all that, but I'd be catching the next flight out. Like, for sure. I'd be done. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And, or i, I mean, go live in the office or something, you know? And,
1: there, and there's, like, all the... Like, it leads to all these internal questions. Like, okay, do they really know who she is? Or were they just, like, they know this is an American, and it's, like, yeah. they can just smack this person. Like, they can mark them. Like, so... Um, However, through all this stuff, they have figured out more about this uh, Abu Ahmed person. Um, It turns out it's a person named Ibrahim Saeed, and she realizes this person is really alive. They had previously thought that that person was dead. So she contacts Dan, who's now back in the United States. He had, he had left like the desert and finally gone back to headquarters.
0: It was like their uh, brother, right? It was like the weird thing about the, all the brothers. Correct. Is that how they found when out? One,
1: when, when one of her uh, – when one of the brothers – like all five brothers went to war under different war names and when one of them died uh, in the early stages of the war on terrorism – another brother took up his name and that is the one. And so everyone's like, Oh yeah, I knew Abu Ahmed. He died like in 2002. And so that's what the CIA was operating on. And then they realized that like, no, he like a guy named that did die. But the guy we're looking for is the dude that assumed that name. Um, yeah. It'd be, it'd
0: be like if they were fighting us and it was like, Oh yeah, Joe Smith, he died a long time ago. <laughs> it's like, Oh, Joe Smith, he, he's in a different platoon, that kind of thing. All Abu, like Abu, like you see all these names,
1: or Abu something and all Abu means is son of. So like, it's very yeah. like almost biblical and that it's like son of David. You know what I mean? So like Abu Ahmed could j- just mean son of Ahmed. So that could be 30 people. Like they could all right. choose to go by that if they wanted to. Um, so they finally get, uh, because they, she figures out who the person they're actually looking for is. They do have a picture of this dude Uh, and they're able to, like, compare the two brothers. They realize it's not the same, and she's like, okay, how do we, we now know that who this guy is. Like, how do we figure out who he's talking to? And Dan is like, okay, I bet dude is calling home. Like, most of these guys, when they go off to war, they call home to their mom. And so he goes, he's like, okay, I'm going to call in a favor for you. And so I love this scene. dude. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He goes to Kuwait. And he's, like, raging with, like, one of the Kuwaiti princes. And, like, he's like, look, bro, like, I need a favor. And the Kuwaiti prince is like, man, fuck you. Like, you, you're not really my boy. Like, all you ever do is, like, you never, like, hang out with me. And then the only time you ever come hang out with me is whenever you want me to, like, betray someone that I personally know and give their contact information. Yeah, you can bug their Crazy phone. life. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, how about this? How about I give you a Lamborghini Gallardo? And the guys, the Kuwaiti prince, in classic Kuwaiti prince fashion, is like any Lamborghini Gallardo and he's like absolutely we'll go to the dealership right now and he's like alright bet and then, and he, or actually it's even better that he's like nothing can happen on Kuwaiti soil <laughs> he's basically like you can't kill anyone in my country they gotta be waxed in Iraq or Afghanistan Dude, he's what like a cr-
0: imagine making a deal that is like have half that many sticks once in your life and right? you're kind of led to believe that he makes these deals all the time
1: Dude, well, he has he does this enough to where when they show up at this Lamborghini dealership at like two in the morning, he knows the dude that runs it by by first name. He's like, thanks a ton, <laughs> like, and he just like pick he's like pick one out, and the dude walks around for the showroom for like four seconds and goes up to a canary yellow uh, Lamborghini Gallardo. Uh, I think it's a Baccalore. and it's a it's like speed yellow convertible and. Dan's like very nice, my friend. Very tasteful. Very low-key. Like kind of like low-key backhead complimenting him on like yeah. picking the gaudiest, the gaudiest thing this. in the entire thing. And he's like, all right, cool. Here's the here's the cell phone number. So now they've got uh they've got this guy's information. They realize that he's in Abbottabad, uh, or he's in Pakistan. And so they start tailing this dude. They eventually, this like it's a, a very convoluted series of events that eventually leads to them having the Pakistani – or the uh, – sorry, the Saudi intelligence. Like they all – that scene where the dudes walking across the plaza and like there's like women and shit and suddenly they all yeah. throw off their burkas and it's like dudes with AKs and they like arrest this guy. So they're able to identify uh, the, this vehicle that they're looking for. They track that vehicle and it leads them to this large urban compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Now this is a like kind of shitty for several reasons. Um, one, it's in Pakistan, which is more complicated than if it's in like almost anywhere else. Like Pakistan, yeah, it'd be better that, off if it was in
0: Afghanistan or in India. Like significantly oh, absolutely better
1: off. for sure. If it's in if it's in Afghanistan, this is almost easy. Like the U.S. at least has like th- hundreds of thousands of military personnel in Afghanistan at this time. They effectively can go anywhere in the country. Um, India is uh, an ally, like. They will help out, but Pakistan is very touchy. Like they're technically like an ally in the war on terror, but they have a re- track record of like when terrorists or enemy combatants flee into the tribal regions, into that like region between Afghanistan and Pakistan that's like technically ungoverned. They're not going after them, so it's very difficult for the U.S. to like ask permission, effectively like go into their airspace. What complicates this further. Is that Abbottabad Pakistan is also the home to what is it's often referred to as like the Pakistani West Point. I think that's kind of like a yeah, that, false parallel, but like that's sell that's selling West
0: Point short, I think. It
1: is like the premier military academy of Pakistan, and so it means that obviously there's a lot more attention and military uh, presence there than it would be if it was in some goat rover village. This is a totally this is a totally different uh, kind of comparison, but like I remember being a kid and thinking that Hanukkah was just Jewish Christmas, and it's like, well, not really. You know what I mean? You know, it's like it, they're not related
0: like that. Like everyone doesn't get handed a Christmas. So literally, like, the only similarity is that they happen around the same time of year, and there's gifts. Exactly <laughs>
1: these these two things these two things do the fulfill the same like basic. Function, but they are not like Pakistan wasn't like. Oh, we should get a West Point and build this. Like that's not what occurred. Yeah, it's just a military academy. Yeah, it is a military academy, and so that that level of military presence makes any operation there like really, really, uh, like complicated geopolitically. Um, Yeah, the compound is like four miles away from the from the
0: academy, like super, super close.
1: It's super close, like within eye. they, They are definitely within eyesight of like if there was like a a drone strike there, it'd be a big deal. So yeah. Um, the CIA puts this compound under surveillance and this is the part of the movie that I actually love the most is one. I think I love, I love the speech the guy gives where he has everyone in that room and he's like, there is no other team on another floor. You are the fucking team. You know what I mean? I love yeah. that speech. And then this, where they have uh, James Gandolfini who we don't see until this part of the movie. He's like a higher up at CIA and, uh, they bring him in to, like, brief him on whether or not this
0: compound is where Bin Laden is. Yeah, he plays the he, director of the CIA in this movie. Yeah. Which I don't yeah, think it's, right. like, a named person. I don't think it's supposed to be the, the, the current CIA director. I don't think. I think it's just, like, he's the director. Yeah, yeah. I he's, a
1: uh, it, it, like, I know on the Wikipedia it just says CIA director as opposed to, like, everyone else is, like, named. Uh, yeah. uh, has a first and last name. But so... They walk him through this whole thing and they're kind of – this is where uh, I think one of the more interesting parts of this story occurs, which is like the back and forth that both CIA, DOJ and – or DOD and the president had uh, on this whole issue. Because like the level of tradecraft being implemented by bin Laden in this compound was pretty crazy. Like obviously he knew – he was being hunted like on a level that no other human being has probably ever endured in his ever. Right. Um, And so they had like this crazy compound with super high walls. He never left the compound. There were no male, like there are no one ever can see him. He, the only time he leaves even to go outside is he has a, like a balcony that has really high walls around the balcony that only the roof is visible. And there's a tree that overgrows the roof. They've, they try all this crazy stuff. They have Because you like, can't see
0: them through satellite. You can't see them nope. anywhere, ever. They, like, you they don't send know.
1: Do- they send a doctor. Uh, they pay for, like, six months for a doctor to go around and do blood testing to the entire, like, surrounding area. Like, thousands of people. They start this, like, really legit medical program to, like, test everyone for polio or something. Just so that they can try to get the DNA of people in that compound to see if they're related to Bin Laden and that doesn't work they try to get someone to pull like the local sewage line to see if they can find his DNA in the shit like it's they are doing everything they possibly can and what it comes down to is they're basically like look we don't we we have no direct evidence that he's here but the fact that the level of caution that's being employed here is so great tells us that someone of this level of importance is in here and we think it's Bin Laden based on what got us here and so they're like, well, it could be like a drug dealer. It could be like, you know, some other wanted high-level Al-Qaeda person. And ultimately they're like – the CIA's opinion is that there's like a 60 to 80% likelihood that it's bin Laden in the compound.
0: Yeah, and, and part, of the, part of the real story there was that – I read that in real life. Like what, part of what led them there was when the courier was having other conversations, they intercepted some. And what was being talked about is only things that would be talked about um, yeah. if you were Al-Qaeda. So one of the liberties that the, that the story takes is instead of making it a political discussion of like, should we go in? They tried to muddy the waters even more and say, this could be an arms dealer. This could just be a right. really private citizen. When in real life, we knew for months that a high-ranking Al-Qaeda officer lived Correct. there. And I think one of the great back and forths, as you talked about, was – you know, this is this is one administration away from the weapons of mass destruction. Where, as as I've I've heard it put by again this author we referenced a little bit earlier, that there was more circumstantial evidence around the weapons of mass destruction than there was around this compound that Bin Laden lived there, at least specifically. And sure, it's like okay, let's say that you're 80 percent sure that Bin Laden lives there, and you drones strike it. What if you're wrong, right? What kind of implications does that have with Pakistan, with their the fact that their West Point is? a five-minute drive up the road. Um, And I'm kind of speeding forward a little bit, but when they they had this famous roundtable with Obama's administration of who wanted to actually go in and who didn't want to go in and kind of like airing their their thoughts or their opinions, Um, apparently Biden was against it. Um, Robert Gates, the Secretary of Defense, was against it. And he was He's been part of administrations dating back, and he cited weapons of mass destruction as a reason he didn't want to go in. I think there was a lot of people in the intelligence agency that were, they were a little bit trigger shy. Um, For sure. Famously, Hillary Clinton was down to go in there. Um, obviously, not like you know, not a hundred percent, but like that was her, that was where she landed. Um, so yeah, as you said, it's it wasn't the the movie portrays it as we're not sure he's in there. I think by the time they did the operation, they were. One hundred and ten percent sure it was an Al Qaeda member, and they were about ninety five percent sure it was Bin Laden. It was just it was yep. just about the political impact. And then of being and
1: wrong. then another question was how do you go about eliminating this threat? So like the yeah. U.S. at this point, we've moved away from the war on terrorism has taught us a bunch of lessons, and one of them is mass invasion of. Uh, to it to you know rid a given place of terrorists is not that effective because they like are they're basically cockroaches like they can go to ground they're really good at hiding they don't need to use modern technologies so they're very difficult to root out um and so we've moved to this like jsoc first special special operations and drone strikes are like the first line of offensive capability the united right. states employs and so everyone's first option here was, like, a, an airstrike package. Like, do we turn this compound into a hole and then, like, figure out via, like, what happens afterwards if bin Laden got got But yeah. they knew, um, at least many voices in the CIA community knew that, like, al-Qaeda will never fucking admit that it's bin Laden if it is. If there isn't, like, we don't have you Know a, a level of kinetic activity here that means that we know it's him, like they're going to, like, they we're gonna we need to force them to martyr him effectively, um, right. and so then it becomes this uh, the use of Dev which is more colloquially known as uh, SEAL Team 6, our tier one special operations team, um, and so they're gonna send these guys in uh, using some. Uh, I don't want to call them experimental because that makes it sound like they weren't that cool, but like, or not, not, they weren't that cool, but they weren't in use, but just like our most secret, uh, the 160th, the night stalkers are like our most special ops aviation wing that uses like technology that other special operations teams, even the U S don't get to use. So they had these like hyper stealth Comanche helicopters that are almost silent. Like the rotors have special technology to make them silent. They're totally invisible on radar. Um, and they're going to basically interdict these this uh, two fire teams from SEAL Team 6 into Pakistan in the middle of the night, have them land, get into this compound, smoke bin Laden, and then get all the intel they can and bin Laden's body onto this helicopter and get out of there before anyone knows what happens. Um, yeah, which is a super crazy dangerous mission dairy. on so many yeah. levels. It's it's nuts.
0: So diplomatic, it's super dangerous. Like you were literally going into another four, like a sovereign nation without their permission in the middle of the night, capping. And a dude. like
1: it didn't all go super to plan. Like one of the helicopters does crash. If that, if the guys in that helicopter had like been captured, this would have been one of the biggest fuck ups since like Carter's attempted rescue
0: of the Iranian hostages. Like, oh yeah, and if it a, wasn't Bin Laden on top of that, that would be. Crazy, which by the way, crazy story about the helicopter crashing that I I heard. Um, there was this account of one of the SEAL team members, and he was saying that you know they it crashed this helicopter, and um, this guy was part of the team that was on the helicopter right right as it crashed, and they're going into the house. Well, there's another unit that has snipers and K9 and, and a K9. Um, Kind how cool out, is that dog too, dude, with his yeah, own little so cool. vest and shit. Like, it's yeah, so that tight. dog was awesome. They um so these snipers are kind of watching the perimeter, and one of the snipers gets on the, the communications and is like, Hey boss, like I think they they know we're coming. And they say, Well, how do you know that? And he goes, Well, I can see from here that they've got a mock helicopter in their yard, so they've been training for us. Dead serious. <laughs> and the guy was like no dude we crashed <laughs> didn't you hear that <laughs> it was like yeah oh okay yeah that makes more sense and just like goes <laughs> off communication like that like that level of brevity in that super tense situation that's quiet at least from a talking perspective 95% of the time I just thought that was a great story um, and I, I of, did
1: love the you know, I also love the depiction of the helicopter because for two reasons one is when the when they know the helicopter is going to crash and the warning and starts going and you just hear the lead seal go who here's been in a helicopter crash and you just see like every single hand in the helicopter go up and it's just like you just realize like these dudes aren't just professionals on a level of like they're the best at killing people like these dudes are are so tip of the spear that like like if you or i were on a helicopter that was going to crash we would be like talking to god screaming like these guys are basically silent and being and able to just be like yes I have been in a helicopter crash all right brace and then back to business like it's nuts um the other thing is that when they're on the chalk to the compound they did a, they made a really interesting choice in the in the script which is uh the the character played by Chris Pratt uh, is basically telling the guys that when they get back from this, he has a whole plan. He's been listening to Tony Robbins and he's, he's got a whole plan for how their life's going to play out, um, which is a interesting nod to post-Bin Laden raid, the dynamic of SEAL specifically and special ops in general changed completely for the United States. And it's a really interesting issue that they're still dealing with now. Like pre-Bin Laden raid, The idea was that to join these, like, elite warrior super units was to become, like, a quiet professional. Like, you're going to do stuff like this, and you're never going to talk about it. Like, that's the nature of your work. You're going to have to do, like, the hardest, most difficult tasks, and you're never going to be able to tell even the people you love, like, how difficult this stuff was. Dude, now they all become
0: writers, fictional or non-fictional. It's
1: And they have, like – and they have a podcast, and they're running a training thing, and, like – it is a weird dynamic that the like DOD has had to start dealing with. Like the seals have had to start dealing with like, what is the nature of our relationship to our work? And like there are, they have, I have read and I've even talked to, I have a very close friend who is in this community and he's uh, told me that they've actually had to start like adding kind of a piece to the weeding out process, which is like identifying people at the beginning of seal training who they think are there as like a, A resume builder like if you're there to be a seal because you want to be a podcast host (laughs) like they need to identify that quickly and get rid of you because it's not good for like the unit cohesion and if you're there to be a hero that's not what being a seal is about like you need to be the guy that's willing to jump on every single guy has to be the dude that wants to jump on a grenade to save the rest of the team and that can't happen if you're like well i'm I'm here I want to write terminal thing. list. Exactly. I want to be the next. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really crazy, like totally this moment, and and I think that adding that to the script is really cool. I think it's like this nod to this how big of a deal this was, not just for us as, a, as an American society, not just how big a deal this was as a, a historical event and the, how it changed the dynamics of the war on terror, but also like the effect it had even on the ground for people like this who like. They knew in the moment that they were doing something that was going to make them, like, not only heroes, but, like, figures in history, which is so crazy. Like, you very rarely get to know in the moment that you're doing something that, like, your great-grandchildren will read about in a textbook. But here you are. So, really crazy. So, then they get down to business, and uh I love how this is shot, by the way. Like, the the on-the-ground stuff, no music. It's, like, all dead— air you can hear like goats in the background and it's like quiet night in the background they're communicating via radio but they're all whispering and they open that door and they go and they uh, they know the names of they've studied every single piece of this whole thing so they know like the names of every family member in the compound and so he's like you know he's like Mahmood Mahmoud and the guy, like, turns the stairs and he just, like, double taps him and the whole team moves up the stairs. You're like, damn, dude, these guys are
0: it's they're, they're very professional. I watched a... Again, I'm not a SEAL, so I can only relay what I've heard about other people say about it, but I did watch a video where a former SEAL was breaking down movies, television shows, and what's realistic, and he was like, this scene is one of the most realistic... Um, I, feel yeah. like I, I feel like I'm watching myself. Like, this is one of, if not the most realistic SEAL team action scenes in any film, and, like, in... You see it, and like you said, it is, it's – I love that they – another great decision that they made with this was once they drop in, you don't see – a lot of these movies will cut back to Central Intelligence. They cut back to Maya watching and doing yep. not really doing anything. I like that when they get there, they right there. ignore the rest of it. It is yep. literally just about the SEAL team and for about yep. 20 minutes, and it's it's so good.
1: Dude, and we have this one really tense moment where like – uh, because they blew they had to blow the gates, and so that that uh detonation causes just a little bit of uh like disturbance, and so people from the village nearby start to walk up the road towards the compound and the sniper team, like the overwatch team, and also the translator for the team are up there, and they have a megaphone and the sniper rifle, and they 're just like. He's got the laser, the infrared laser, and he's just, like, putting it on, going back and forth between the chests of all these people walking up the road, and he's like, tell them to stop. Tell them to stop, or I'm going to have to start shooting people. Tell them to stop. And so he's just, like, he's yelling to the megaphone, and then eventually there's this great moment where he just, like, puts the megaphone down, and he just yells. He's like, go back. Go back, or they will kill you. And you just see the guy slow. And there's one dude with a like a wood piece of wood in his hand and he's like standing in the middle of the road with the ink obviously he can't see the laser, but like he's got the designator like right on his chest and he like thinks about it for a second and then turns and goes back and you just like everyone, including the viewer, like as you, you like breathe this huge sigh of relief. You're just like, yeah. Oh my god, dude, holy shit. I also love they made the decision not to make like the actual killing of bin laden this like crazy moment because like, it probably wasn't right like it wasn't like he came out for the boss fight with like two golden ak-47s and was like yeah uh, you know he his health bar like, ready player he one him.
0: he's got the he's got the mega godzilla right like, it takes five like, minutes to kill bin laden
1: bin laden doesn't ha- can't take 10 times more bullets than the guy that you shot downstairs so they just walk in they like get through the room they 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 double tap this dude and you can hear them talking to each other, the SEALs, and they're like, dude, I think this is him. Holy shit. And then you, and then for the first time, we cut back to Maya, and you hear the famous radio call where he's like, Geronimo, Geronimo, for king and country, or for, for uh, god and country, Geronimo. And they're like, we got him. We It'd be really him. weird if they
0: said for king and country in America.
1: Yeah, but. <laughs> they all had British <laughs> accents. You're like, what? Yeah. SAS. So, uh, yeah, then they go on. Then, like, at this moment, I think this is also crucial because it's like in the kind of legendary, like in your head version of this story, this is where it ends, right? Like, and they got in there and they killed him, and that was
0: it, right? Like, but now and they did the thing on on the on like Fortnite where you like bounce up and down and like teabag. Yeah, the guy after you they, shoot teab- him,
1: yeah. they teabagged Bin Laden for ten minutes while victory royale was over the. But um, <laughs> what what actually happens is that like there's a tone shift to the reality of this job which is that there is no time to like gloat or celebrate or even appreciate what's happened they're instantly like we have to get the fuck out of here all the lights come on in the house everyone turns off their nvgs and they're all like just trying to rip open um file drawers and, like rip la- uh hard drives out of computers they're like trying to get all the intel they can and they have to get on this helicopter and get out of here because the pakistanian military is coming like they have now realized yeah. that something is happening here
0: they don't know what, like for all they know, like it's not because they think Americans are there. They, they just heard explosions, like a helicopter crash right next to their, their military base or like what's going on. So yeah, they said they have 10 minutes to get whatever they can and then to get out. And the of
1: eternal question will always be like, did the Pakistanis know bin Laden was here? Like before we went in there. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever yeah. really get a straight answer on that. I bet um, some of them did, but I don't know. It, I'm sure at, at the Total very guess. least, some of the locals were probably like, you know, aware, like At the very least, I feel like some of the locals know someone of that gravity is there, like beyond just like your standard important rich guy. Um, But yeah, they're having. At least theorized
0: it, like, hey, you know, there's rumors he's been spotted in the area. I keep seeing people leave this compound. Like, I'll tell you what, if I'm one of the,
1: if I'm if I'm some like random, uh, you know, dude, blue collar Pakistani dude down the road, I'm finding a sat phone and being like hey, y'all still got that $25 million reward going? Pull up, huh? There's a random dude down the road. Y'all need to slide on this guy for real, though. The last thing they have to do is is blow up this helicopter so the Pakistanis can't get their hands on the technology because it's such a like high-level piece of equipment. They detonate that shit, and they get on the helicopter, and they get back. And so what we're left with at the end of the movie is uh, they bring the body to Maya. They unzip the bag. She's like, yeah, that's him. And then we see her board kind of, like, as the only passenger going on this military plane to go back to the United States, and she begins to cry. And so I think what we're— I love that they did that. Like, I love that agreed. scene. Because it's, it's kind of like—it is an interesting idea of, like, you devote your life to something that is objectively so important. Like, it is such a big deal, and you, you are honed in on this mission that means so much to so many. And when you accomplish it, where do you go from there? And yeah that question is left open we you know obviously Maya isn't an individual real person um, but we want, we're left wondering like what, what will Maya do now like is she done like is she going to retire from the CIA will she go on to some other uh, thing but she the, in the first scene it's 2003 Bin Laden was killed in 2011 so she spent a solid like eight nine years of her life doing this 24-7 getting shot at like this was what she you know ate drank, slept, breathed for a decade. Uh, like probably like the prime of her life. And then now it has come to this successful conclusion. But like what does a human being do when you're no longer when you finally catch that thing that you've been chasing for so long? It's really interesting. Yeah, imagine.
0: I mean, imagine being on the the group of the CIA that was after Bin Laden all the way back in the mid-90s because there's people that were involved. There was task groups, task forces at Langley that were assigned to that. So you have to imagine There were a handful of people that from the mid 90s up until 2011, when bin Laden was killed, that's all they did was try to find bin Laden. You spent your entire career, or I would say, you know, half of your career, a lot of your working life, you know, late days, late nights, finding him, and then it's all over in one swoop. That's got to be just super overwhelming.
1: I will say, at least it's a successful conclusion. If you read The Looming Tower, which I highly recommend everyone read, it's incredible. One of the saddest stories is there's a guy who works for the FBI who – the FBI and CIA had a combined team that uh, did investigations uh, around al-Qaeda after the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. And this guy was basically treated as an outsider and and like conspiracy theorist because he was basically on the 9-11 attack like five years before it happened being like this is going to occur. And he was, like, raising alarms, raising every red flag. And like you said, they just get so many of these that, like, everyone can't be taken seriously, right? So – but he had, like, basically, like, identified, like, all these major players. Like, he knew bin Laden and al-Qaeda were going to be behind it. And he left the CIA – or the FBI uh, a couple months before 9-11 because he had just been kind of, like, sidelined because he had devoted his entire career to basically raising this alarm about this impending attack – And when he retired from FBI, he took the job as the head of World Trade Center security, like a private gig as the head of security for the World Trade Center. And I cannot imagine what it was like for him because he died in the towers on 9-11. So can you imagine what his last thoughts were when that – like I I almost hope that he thought it was just an accident, right? Like that he didn't know oh. that he was right. Cause that would almost be totally crushing to a human. You being. spend your
0: entire life trying to prevent your own death and you know. Oh it's my god, dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: Crazy, crazy. So at least in the case of these people, like, yes, it would be totally like overwhelming to have to effectively pack your whole life up to that point and put it on a shelf and be like done like that project's done but at least they successfully completed it right like the thing they devoted their life to they they did um from a movie standpoint like i said like i think they trimmed exactly the fat they needed to here this story is told it's not a short movie or anything but for a movie that takes place over 15 years encompasses like Fifty different countries hunt thousands of people, tens of thousands of leads. One of the most complex and wide-spanning manhunts in history, um, and you're dealing with source material and events that are super important to like everyone. Like every, you know, while you're making this, that like everything's going to be gone over with a fine tooth comb because it's such a huge, important piece of history. Um, I they did such an incredible job like I still watch this movie like once a year to this day it's like I, you know I I say this on like all the time on the podcast but like I now look at many things through the lens of like how am I going to tell my son about X and like certainly 9-11 is something my son will view like I viewed Vietnam right like he was born in 2022 like to him like he'll view he'll view something that happened in 2001 like I viewed something that happened in 1979 so yeah when I'm explaining like 9-11 and like how that happened and all this stuff, like this movie will probably certainly play a role in like how that, those events, like how we found nat- national catharsis around the specifics of 9-11 and, and Osama bin Laden. So it definitely stands the test of time. It's an incredible film.
0: It does stand the test of time. You're right about that. Cause I feel like it could have been very easy to make a movie in 2011 that covers some of these topics and make it even more, i think this movie does a pretty you know again we talked about this earlier i do think that it has some of the talking points that the cia probably wanted regarding torture but i think generally this story does a really good job of keeping it to the central plot of finding bin laden overall it's not very political which they could have gone so hard either direction and they didn't and i think that's one of the best things about the, the story i totally agree um and I
1: think that that highlights it highlights something that is very important, and that's that like we tend to view like all action anywhere involving the United States through a political lens. It's just the nature of our modern political landscape. But like people that are working on the ground for the United States are fundamentally apolitical. Like not in their personal life, obviously they they probably vote and they probably have many opinions. Um, many of them more informed than ours. <laughs> but when it comes to stuff like this. Um, they're not operating like we are from a position of like, oh, how will this affect Congress or something? You know what I mean? They're they're doing their actual job, what they've devoted their life to. And I think what people lose sight of sometimes is that like this work that they're doing is not well paid. And it's often, I mean, the people that worked on the Bin Laden case, they were lucky. They got a movie made about them. You know what I mean? Like that's more praise than most of our, the people that end up as a star on the wall at CIA headquarters get. And so, um, I think this movie is a great testament to the heart the you know, thousands of working men and women who you know work incredibly hard to defend this country um, and do the work that other people can't or won't. Um, it's an incredible film, and uh, I certainly have. It's such a complicated topic; it's impossible to like make it you know truly perfect through the eyes of history. And I've I've certainly voiced um, the issues I have with it around things like torture, but. Um, overall, it, it's an incredible piece, and I, I really like it. I think it's really
0: good. Before we get into ratings, I feel like because of how well this movie's made, I do want to see if we have any good, bad reviews. Maybe we can just get, like, two good ones in
1: Oh man, I, I haven't even looked. I wonder if they're <laughs> – I'm very – I'm sure the bad reviews are just fucking so difficult to read for me because they're just going to be people that That's, that, that's why I want to see it because this
0: movie – for its gripes, the gripes are not about the writing or the directing or the acting or anything like the way you normally criticize. So I feel like I want to see if people take gripe, to, you know, take issue with any of that stuff, which we, we probably both agree was phenomenal in this movie.
1: Three stars. Finally saw this. Three stars are for Chris Pratt in the last 35 minutes of the movie. The rest of the political <laughs> stuff and twisted truths could be removed from the movie. Most of this movie was half-truths. I truly can't tell what that person thinks about anything. Like, so you love Chris Pratt and like military shit. So you're like, I mean, Chris Pratt is like one of Hollywood's most prominent conservatives. You know what I mean? Like he's well known for sure. his like.
0: Yeah. Did he not like that Jessica Chastain was like the one who found Bin Laden? That, or, or is it the, the, or is it the torture thing? We don't know. So.
1: I it, I guess it could be. I don't know. That's so strange. I was expecting kind of the. Um, when I opened this page, I was expecting kind of the same. Uh, critiques that you see about like American Sniper where it's like this is effectively Propaganda you know what I mean like uh, War mongering yeah. blah 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 but that doesn't seem To be what's going on here <laughs> Like it's A lot of, a lot of, takes, lot of hot takes uh, Somehow a good movie that is taken As fact but really just another Hollywood ending Probably paid for by the US government It reads like a cover up oh that's another angle I didn't even think about that there is a large Group of people that think that uh, Bin Laden didn't die and then we faked The whole thing so like okay i guess there could be like a a group of people like 10 percent of these reviews could just be from
0: cranks that are like you know 9-11 truthers like yeah i was was about to say who would think because the last 30 minutes of the movie is the is the part of the movie that basically everybody in the intelligence community journalism is like no the last 30 minutes is like very accurate as to almost exactly what happened so yeah crazy it's an interesting subject, but
1: most of the movie just drags. It has no business being this long. I think it would have been better as a documentary with the people who gave the accounts of what was happening tell us the story. The final act where they finally go and get bin Laden's dispensal and well done, but it doesn't save the rest of the film for me.
0: That's actually kind of fair. I mean, it, I was thinking this earlier about what, how could this movie have improved, and I honestly think the only way it could have improved is if they made this like a six-part miniseries on like HBO. Like add add more color to the investigation part. Because, you know, I I think they did a great job of condensing this into a two-hour film, like we said, about as good as they could have done. But it would have been cool to see more strings and more of a mystery tugged along. And uh, yeah. And then a documentary obviously would be really cool, but I don't know if they'd be able to get everybody in on that. Oh, man. Like a safety perspective.
1: half a star oh man jessa chaston is just god awful do not watch
0: all right that is a a hot take jessica (laughs) chastain she was nominated for for best actress in this film by the way so uh
1: okay this is this is what i was expecting this film is a monumental pagan pagan to USA imperialism in a perfect imp- presentation of CIA propaganda. Nothing in this film is to be believed, but they put bits of truth embedded in the lies to make it believable. This is the USA's 21st century version of the German film Triumph of the Will. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Buddy, I would bet everything I've ever had
0: that you've never seen Triumph of the Will.
1: Alright? <laughs> like, I am, I feel very safe
0: making that bet. Like... <laughs> Who was the guy on the other review that said um, oh, who did the shining uh, totally blanking Kubrick Yeah we were wa- it was like we were watching some oh <laughs> we did a bad review for Crazy Stupid Love and they were like not even Kubrick could save this screenplay we we're like you just know know his name like why are yeah. you why are you, why, do you, why do you want that's Stanley you, Kubrick to, to that, do a a rom-com That's
1: just superman to him
0: like <laughs> yeah
1: two stars such a boring drawn out movie but it's important, right? Well, well, comma, dude, this guy thought he had such a gotcha. All caps. The main character didn't even exist. Yeah, we all know. That's yeah, like, everyone knows that, part. dog. Dude, I'll tell you what. You know why this movie sucks? They didn't give me the name and addresses of actual CIA personnel and reveal their identities to the entire world in this, in this film. So it's not good. Like,
0: Yeah, they changed the names and likeness of some of these people involved in this incredibly touchy you know operation that happened literally one year before they made the film how dare they people are dumb this is
1: yeah all the all the all the negative reviews are kind of fall into like like again there are things to critique about this movie like i sure. I, I think i did and these that. like
0: in those reviews kind of touch on the kernels of truth but then they go all go off the deep end except for the jessica chastain take there's nothing there's nothing accurate about saying that jessica chastain is a bad actress like She's great. Absolutely. Yeah, that's ridiculous. literally nominated for Best Actress in this. Yeah, it's
1: ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) And just shit like this. America, parentheses, CIA. Propaganda at its finest. (laughs) God bless the American war machine. Like, okay, dude, like, that's not nearly as deep as you think it is. And again, like, I'm sorry to repeat myself. There are things to critique about this movie, and there are things about, like, the industrial, like, the, you know military industrial complex here to critique but when you do it like that you're just so easy to write off as a crank that doesn't know what you're talking about that it's it's very easy to dismiss you so thanks like thanks for thanks for like totally discrediting anything that would actually be of conducive discussion yeah
0: like hey you might not be a crazy person but when you're talking to yourself and yelling at the sky, you're going to be hard to convince people that you're crazy like when you write these crazy when you write a review in all caps it's going to be hard to convince people that you're like a, you know, that you're <laughs> Okay, well. this one's
1: weird. The, the cinematography and directing are great. However, that is all I have to say about this movie that is good. It has such a weak script for an Oscar-heavy film. By giving us an unrelatable, selfish character, messy pacing, and a story that is overlong mm. and boring. Dude, I don't know if you can call someone an unrelatable, selfish character when they've devoted their entire life, including, like, <laughs> sacrificing having a family or any personal life to, like, you know, finding and bringing to justice a criminal who killed five thousand American citizens. Like.
0: Imagine looking at every story that has a a protagonist who is like very devoted and driven and single minded, and being like selfish. How many great stories in the history of story do you immediately have to write off by just saying like, oh, they're driven? That's a selfish character. Pass. What?
1: Uh, That's Dude, everything about that's insane. I just don't see anything good in the movie. It wasn't factual. Maya was a fictional character. Bro, I cannot imagine having a hang-up with that. Like, let's be... Like, these people clearly are, like, under... Either don't pay any attention or are under the age of, like, 20. Because, like, we had in the previous administration before this, like people in, in Bush's cabinet outed and identified a CIA agent and it was like a huge scandal like yeah that's a no-no like <laughs> you don't do that so like the idea that this script is going to be like and then Jim Smith uh, known CIA asset who's probably still working in the field somewhere who doesn't need his life story told in a movie decided yeah. to go after bin Laden like dude these people all didn't like Win the Super Bowl and then like ride off into the sunset and retire. Like I bet a bunch of people that did this shit are like now senior level management at the
0: CIA. Dude, it it literally strikes me as watching all seven hours of it and then writing a review that's like one star. His name wasn't even Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, dude. No kidding. Okay, that's not the point. Like, ugh, that's hilarious. People are crazy. What do you give this 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 story?
1: I would say uh, it is a solid 8.5 out of 10. Um, I would, I think I would give it a 9, uh, except for the stuff I talked about at the beginning, but it's an incredible movie, super enjoyable, uh, and if you're like a history person, if you're a military enthusiast like I consider myself, this is like must-see content and- you know, it, it chronicles in uh, with a with a level of Hollywood fictionalization and grandeur that is, I think, acceptable. Um, yes. One of the more important events of the last twenty years. So really well done. Super uh, big ups to Catherine Bigelow.
0: Like she did a great job. Yeah. Not. I'm going to give it a nine for the, every reason that you gave it. Um. I thought that the last 30 minutes is absolutely incredible and yeah. Oh, yeah. is one of the most accurate, again, from just what I've heard from other people that were actually in um, Special Forces, one of the most accurate Special Forces action scene in cinema. That's a huge bonus for me. The dialogue, again, seems to be incredibly realistic, very, I wouldn't even say fast-paced, but they talk as if you're not there, which I love in a, in a story where, again, I'm Agreed. dropped into a world that I don't know. I like that you expect the audience to keep up um I liked the essay took liberties with Jessica Chastain's character Maya and also like Kyle Chandler's character who runs the Islamabad office who is kind of like her her kind of fake ally opponent you know very um like he's kind of against spending all that time and resources looking for um osama bin laden and is that obviously fictionalized yes but is again is it a good fictionalization that uh plays into again a what you want in a narrative yes so i i give them credit for that yeah um i think everything you said about some of the inaccuracies historically i take a few points off of i do think there's parts of the movie parts of the script that drag a little bit were, while I appreciated the realism of the dialogue, I thought there was moments that they could have been a little bit more clear about what's going on. Agreed. There are there are entire ten minute swaths where I'm not entirely sure what's happening, um, but that's fine. Like it, again, I think that some of that plays into what you're how you're supposed to feel watching it. Um, but overall, really well written, really well directed, great acting, like almost no weaknesses to this movie. So I I give it a nine. And honestly, if you said it was higher, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue with you. It's a great movie.
1: Yeah, totally good. So and there's and there's been other. We got like a obviously because of you know the war on terror is such a a framing of set of events for our modern kind of world. Um, there's been several very high profile, very high budget uh, movies around like things like this. Uh, we got American Sniper. We got uh, Lone Survivor. Things like that. Um, and while I, I think those movies have strength and, strengths and weaknesses, I think that they, when lined up against a movie like Zero Dark Thirty, you see just how good Zero Dark Thirty is at what it does. Like agreed, agreed. from the kinetic action at the end, like I think it has both the best like military shooter like action as far as realism goes that we've ever seen, and I think it also does an incredible job distilling what is an incredibly complex and long complicated thing that is the hunt for bin Laden into um, something that can be digested like you said it is it's not easy um, but for what they from what it was to what it becomes it's I think it is certainly a a very admirable job that they did and while it was
0: inaccurate about some of the um, again the the waterboarding and and I'll give them credit I think there's only two torture scenes in this movie and then they talk about how helpful torture is during other parts of the movie Um, but
1: that's the real that's the real issue is like I think that like someone who has no knowledge of this of these events could come away with the comes away from it with the idea that like oh we had to do that to find bin Laden and we, we learned afterwards, um, and I'm sure the writers of this movie learned afterwards, that like, that is not how that occurred. Like, we did not receive actionable intelligence about Bin Laden or anything from, from these programs. And but while again, like, our, from the from the CIA's perspective, like, they were in the middle of being effectively put on trial. So
0: I, I get it that they were like,
1: yeah, we're, we're gonna go ahead and tell the story this way. We're not getting in trouble.
0: Like, that's while, just, while that that's part accurate. was fictionalized, I, I think the meat of how we found Bin Laden was so accurate that I give them like, if you ask me is this story accurate? I would say yes. In fact, one of the things sure. that kind of struck me is the the Peter uh, Bergen interview that I was talking about, the guy who's written multiple books on Bin Laden, I found really interesting was, when he talked about this movie, he was like, oh, it's not accurate. But then they walked through the script, and almost every time they stopped and was like, did that happen? He was like, well, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. And so by the end of the interview, you're like, what wasn't accurate? And his take was basically, we don't find intelligence through... Um, torture so yeah again as i said like the last hour of this when they find the courier and they find that he's in one of the larger cities and then he goes to the smaller city where they find the compound and they're not sure if he's bin laden's actually there all of that stuff i would consider that like the meat of how did Most we find definitely. bin laden right yeah. so all this is an accurate tell in my overall i think this is Agreed. an accurate it gets to the point of telling us a relatively accurate Telling of how we found Bin Laden, um Most other different. than some liberties towards the beginning of the film, so much more accurate than the other historical fiction that we've done in this store in this uh, podcast so far, which is Remember the Titans, where they yeah. were the racist school that was pretending to be the non-racist schools. So yeah, was
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, I'm glad we did it. If you're glad we did it and you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe, give us a rating, all that good stuff. And like I said, check out our YouTube channel because we're going to start uploading clips, um, or we have been uploading clips, I guess I should say, um, once or twice a week. So it kind of gives you a more digestible um, format to get some of our best moments of each episode, uh, as well as some of our interviews that we're going to be conducting over this fall. As always, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. See you next time. Peace.
1: Peace.